Good morning. Today I want to begin with a reminder of where we are in our study. The main focus of our study is the mind of Christ, which is our theme for the year. We learned in Philippians that having the mind of Christ means treating others as more important than ourselves. In Romans, we learned that we as believers are not to be conformed to the world, but rather transformed by the renewal of our mind. We have spent a number of days studying 1 Corinthians. In that book, Paul contrasts the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And he reminds believers that they already have the mind of Christ by virtue of the Spirit indwelling them, but they need to make sure and use it. We ended yesterday's study with Paul's admonition about the danger of jealousy and strife. And I thought it would be beneficial to examine this theme in a little more detail. To do that, we will look at a few verses in the book of James, where James has a lot to say about the danger of jealousy and strife, and of the good fruit of godly wisdom. But before looking at James, I want to say that we are blessed here at Geneva. Geneva isn't perfect, of course, but we do enjoy a close-knit, loving community where we don't experience much in the way of jealousy and strife. But we can't take it for granted. It is a gift and it needs to be protected. And if we want to preserve it, we need to make sure that our minds are constantly being renewed by the Word of God. To that end, listen as I read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James begins with the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? It is doubtful that anyone would answer that question in the negative. No one will say in response, Not me, James. I am ignorant and foolish. But James is using the question to demonstrate that not all wisdom is equal and to show the profound difference in the fruit produced by godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. The one who is truly wise will show it by their works in the meekness of wisdom. Godly wisdom is distinguished by the fact that it is meek. Meekness is not the same as weakness. In fact, to be meek means to possess power that is kept under control. At the end of chapter 3, James will go into great detail explaining what meekness looks like. So for now, we'll move on. James then shifts his attention away from godly wisdom in order to reveal the essence of worldly wisdom. He knew that there was jealousy and strife among those to whom he was writing, but he also knew they would probably be quick to say that they were simply being wise. He wanted to show that true wisdom is not present where there is jealousy and strife. James leaves it to each person to examine their own heart, but he makes it clear that if a person has bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in their heart, they are being false to the truth. It is important to understand context when interpreting Scripture. With that being said, there are two sins James has already sought to correct in this letter, and this warning comes right after those admonitions. 
So contextually, we should see those sins in particular as a manifestation of the worldly wisdom James is opposing. The first is showing partiality, which is a failure to love our neighbors as ourselves. In 12th grade, the students read Plato's Republic. In the book, Plato is trying to find an answer to the question, what is justice? One of the potential definitions given for justice is doing good to your friends and harm to your enemies. The 12th graders all agreed that this was a poor definition of justice, but they did believe it was consistent with the way that people sometimes act in the world. Before the believer, that way of thinking and acting is not an option. It may be consistent with worldly wisdom, but it does not come close to manifesting the wisdom of God. The other sin James addresses is related to the tongue, or sins in the way that we speak. We can ask ourselves, do my words build up, bring healing, and convey joy? Or do they tear down, destroy, and convey discontent and anger? In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus talks about what is in the heart of the natural man. He says this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the way of worldly wisdom. And while Jesus says that these things defile a man, a number of them are actually valued by the world, or at the very least are accepted as the norm. For example, the wisdom of the world says there's no such thing as sexual immorality, and those who say otherwise are intolerant and should be silenced. Slander is commonplace in political dialogue and on social media, and pride is only condemned when it is exhibited by those we disagree with. But James doesn't mince words. He says that this kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Worldly wisdom that exhibits jealousy and selfish ambition cannot produce good. The end of worldly wisdom is disorder and every evil practice. We are familiar with the saying, the ends justify the means. But I think James makes it clear that the means, godly wisdom or worldly wisdom, have a profound impact on the end. Worldly wisdom, according to James, produces disorder and every vile practice. James concludes chapter 3 by extolling the beauty of godly wisdom. He begins by explaining what godly wisdom is, and he ends by showing what fruit it produces. James says that godly wisdom is pure. Its motives and its desires are pure. It is peaceable. It strives not for division, but for peace and unity. It is gentle. It does not boast or make threats. It is open to reason. Godly wisdom listens. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It is not vindictive, but is quick to show mercy. Godly wisdom is impartial. It doesn't take a side either to please someone or to try to gain advantage. And godly wisdom is sincere. There's no hidden agenda. And the fruit of godly wisdom, 
James says, is a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. It produces all sorts of good along with peace. Some may be inclined to respond to James's words by calling this kind of wisdom weakness, but in reality, it is profound strength. Anger, violence, and retaliation are easy. Godly wisdom, which produces righteousness and peace, requires real strength. To close today, I want to pray that God will help Geneva continue to be a place where godly wisdom is taught and lived out, and that we would see in our community a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. Join me as we pray. Father, you have been good to us as a community. I thank you for all of those who have worked so diligently to serve one another, to show kindness and love, to work uh, under the auspices of godly wisdom uh, to bring peace. We thank you for their works and their, their effort. We pray uh, your blessing upon them and us as a community. We want to be a place where godly wisdom is extolled and lived out so that we might be a place that is salt and light to the world, demonstrating to them the profound difference the gospel of Jesus Christ makes in the lives of those who believe. We thank you again for this day. We pray that you would use us for the good of your kingdom and for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.